It is the final preview edition of Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, the host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today we wrap up our preview editions with each of our hosts, the Locked On Podcast Network, about their teams, the local experts on the biggest stories, knowing their team. And today we hit the Pelicans and the Thunder, two chemistry questions. The Phoenix Suns and the Sacramento Kings rebuilding. Portland, what does Terry Stotts have in mind? We'll touch on San Antonio, Utah, Golden State, and Minnesota. It's all coming up on this edition. Make sure you've subscribed to your local Locked On podcast and make sure you get their daily updates on your team. Today's show is brought to you by SeatGeek as well as Warby Parker. We thank both of them for their support. So let's get it rolling. It is Western Conference Preview Extravaganza number two. Let's do it. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is just completely loaded, top to bottom. We've got the Warriors and the Spurs coming, the Thunder coming. Maybe the three best teams in the Western Conference. Oh, Ben DeBose of Locked On Rockets doesn't like that at all. All right, let's just kick it off. If it wasn't for this crazy offseason, this would be the biggest story. DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis together in New Orleans. On each of our shows, we'll get the look from the local host, Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, and then I'll give you a little bit of my pack assessment on what my offensive numbers say about each team. So let's start it off with Jake Madison and the host of Locked On Pelicans breaking down the team he knows so well. Hey everyone, Jake Madison here, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake, and I'm here to break down everything you need to know for the Pelicans this season. There's a number of big storylines as the Pelicans get ready for the start of the regular season. And the first one to me is that this is a team the NBA as a whole needs to pay attention to because it is one giant experiment. The league has gone small in recent years and has largely been dominated by guard and wing play. And the Pelicans have decided to go against the grain and build around a front court of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Despite having the most talented front court in probably a very long time seen here in the NBA, the reviews were mixed after the trade. They struggled in the 17 games that Cousins played, but there was a stretch in March where they put up a top five offensive rating, a top five defensive rating, as both big men started to gel and kind of understand and learn how to play off of each other. But questions remain if this team can be successful by going big in a league that's dominated by small ball, faster styles of play. If it works, it could be a blueprint that other teams use to build from in the future. And if it fails, you might be seeing this Pels team blow it all up and some of these faces on different teams in the near future. The other big storyline centers around Drew Holiday, and the Pelicans re-signed him to a five-year, $126 million deal, a big overpay for a player of his caliber on opening night of free agency. But he is a formal all-star and the Pelicans need him to play like one again. He struggled after the trade that brought DeMarcus Cousins here to New Orleans, but bounced back after moving to the two-guard and playing off-ball more. It allowed him to be more instinctive and aggressive rather than playing a bit more cerebral and focusing on setting up teammates. Now he's paired with Rajon Rondo in the backcourt and the hope that the Pelicans have is that this This unlocks Holiday's potential and gets him playing like he was towards the end of the season because certainly if they want to make the playoffs, he needs to be the third star for this team. 
The Pelicans' best case scenario is simply making the playoffs, whatever seed that might be. And to do so, they're going to need a few different things to go their way. Their first thing being they need to get off to a strong start or at least a 500 start. Combined through the first uh, 12 games the past two seasons, this team is 3-21. and 21. They cannot afford to get off to a sluggish start again while integrating new players in Rajon Rondo, Ian Clark, and Tony Allen, all of whom should have a significant role with the team this year. If they do that, you might see some changes by Christmas Day games with this franchise. Additionally, this team also needs to find some consistent three-point shooting to space the court well enough for Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins to operate in the paint. Solomon Hill's going to be out for most of the season for the Pelicans, leaving a starting spot open in that small forward position, and they need to find someone early on who's going to be able to adequately fill that void. And frankly, the options aren't too appealing. Right now, the front runner might be Darius Miller, who hasn't played in the NBA for the past two years. Dante Cunningham, who they recently re-signed but is better off as a four, playing that power forward small ball position uh, that he had some success with this past year. Or Etwan Moore running a three-guard lineup, but there are questions if he's going to be able to adequately defend bigger wings in the league with his 6'4 height. All of those guys have shown some tendency to be accurate three-point shooters, but never on a large volume scale, which, what the, which is what the Pelicans are going to need to space the court for Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. The flip side of everything could lead to a pretty awful scenario very quickly for the New Orleans Pelicans. If they don't get the shooting and Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins don't work as well as advertised and that they've looked in preseason and training camp thus far, you could see a coaching change made before January 1st and this team decide to blow it up. That's going to lead to a lot of speculation at the trade deadline of do they move Anthony Davis, do they move DeMarcus Cousins, uh, who's on an expiring deal, to try and rebuild and just complete completely start fresh. That's a disaster here in New Orleans, moving on from a once-in-a-generation talent in Anthony Davis. I don't think that'll be the case. I think they do have enough shooting, but certainly it's a concern because right now you do need to hit threes in this league, and the Pelicans don't have a lot of proven players who are able to do so. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season has to be DeMarcus Cousins. Long known for his temperamental issues on court and his uncoachability, Cousins has really bought in this offseason, slimming down significantly in anticipation of playing a full season in this run-and-gun style that Alvin Gentry wants the team to play. He's also been working out with Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and most recently with the entire team for a couple of days in Kentucky while they were up there. If Cousins is as committed to winning as he says he was at media day he has a chance to shed some of these negative labels that have dogged him for his career and finally taste the playoffs for the first time the player whose career trajectory is most likely to be impacted by this season is the other big for the pelicans anthony davis if the season goes well and the Pelicans make the playoffs to Marcus Cousins re-signs in the offseason, you could see Davis here for a very long time, much like Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. Despite people wanting him to leave and thinking he should leave, he's very committed to the small market. But make no mistake, Davis wants to win and a legacy is important for him. If the Pelicans miss the playoffs yet again and DeMarcus Cousins bolts, he might start to have some questions about how his career has gone to this point. And though he's never said anything publicly, uh, making people believe he does want to stay here in New Orleans, this might start to change his mind.
The Pels don't really have any rookies that are going to contribute this year. They were without a first-round pick because of the DeMarcus Cousins trade. And then, though, they did select Frank Jackson from Duke in the second round in the most Pels fashion imaginable. He went out and got hurt before he even played a single game in the NBA. But they do have a talented big and second-year player, Czech Diallo, who was one of the stars of Las Vegas Summer League. And with the Pels kind of thin in the front court behind Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, he has a chance to become potentially the third big for this team. He's shown a nice shooting touch. He's got a very springy, energetic game. He goes tenaciously after rebounds. If he stakes out that third big spot, you might see him getting serious minutes in the NBA this season. My best guess for how the season plays out for the Pelicans is fairly optimistic. There's a lot of talent here in Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and then Drew Holiday pulling up that third wheel. And the bottom four seeds of the Western Conference all seem to kind of be up for grabs. And I think the Pelicans have enough talent to squeak in. I am pretty confident in Ian Clark being a contributor, getting enough shooting from Drew Holiday, Etuan Moore, and they still have a top 10 defense from last season. I think they get in as the 7 or 8 seed getting bounced in the first round. But right now, if you're the Pelicans, that should be enough to get DeMarcus Cousins re-signed and to move on from there. So thank you all for listening. Again, I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Nola Jake. Jake is another one of these great hosts we have. It's just worth listening to the show, even if you're not a huge Pelicans fan. Pelicans, to me, come out very, very well when I look at them numerically. Now, Cousins and Davis didn't work together, and Holiday didn't work even worse, and the numbers when they were combined were brutal. But when I break down the Pelicans' numbers this year and how their pack ratings look, surprisingly, they come out as the seventh-best offensive team in the Western Conference. Last year, they were great defensively. Again, surprisingly, Alvin Gentry's team was much better defensively than it was offensively. So they lacked depth. But they've got these two guys that are so incredibly efficient that if they get it going and figure it out, they might be all right. Furthermore, Rajon Rondo, who's dealing with that sports hernia, is really the one truly awful offensive player they have. This is a team that may be considerably better than people think they're going to be. In fact, it wouldn't stun me if they make the playoffs, if DeMarcus doesn't derail them in some way. All right, from a fantasy standpoint, this team might be one of the most exciting. Josh Lloyd hosts our amazing show, Locked on Fantasy Basketball. If you didn't get his daily fantasy 101 show that he launched this week, make sure you go back and grab that. But here he is on the Pelicans. Hi, guys. It's Josh Lloyd here from Locked on Fantasy Basketball to tell you about the New Orleans Pelicans fantasy value for this season. Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, we saw that they were able to put up big numbers together last season and not much will change. Uh, Davis is a clear top eight player. Cousins is a clear top 15 player and not much is going to change with those guys. With the uh, Rajon Rondo injury now to start the season, uh, Drew Holiday, I think he's got some value. I think he's getting drafted outside the top 50 and he could comfortably be a top 50 player this season. Whereas Rondo, when he comes back, I do think that there is a a chance that he can have some value, especially if you're looking for some assists. While he is out, a guy like Eats One More may be worth a fly, but I don't really like that. I don't think there's much long-term value there in more. Whereas a player you want to pay some attention to, even in standard leagues when Davis or Cousins sits down, is Shek Diallo, who's got a great fantasy profile and has been the first big off the bench in preseason. If he finds himself with extended minutes, he is going to put up those fantasy numbers. 
Thanks a ton, Josh. Once a long time ago, the most interesting story in the NBA would have been the New Orleans Pelicans, but the Oklahoma City Thunder are instead. Let me tell you, if you're going to go see a Pelican game or a Thunder game or someone like that, the Rockets or the Warriors in this incredible league, you want to do it through SeatGeek. Here is how you do it. First off, you go to SeatGeek and download the app. Once you have the app, now you have everything you need. No more of those days where you go out and look at all the different brokers and all the different places. SeatGeek compiles all the tickets in one spot for you right here on the app. Then they give every ticket a ticket score. So if you're on the road and you don't know the arena or you're trying to learn where the best tickets are, then you can do it right there via the app. Finally, it's secured and on your phone for you. Simple and easy. This is modern technology making what used to be a hassle very, very easy, and I want to make it better for you. For listening to this, you can use the promo code LOCKED and you get $20 back on your first purchase with SeatGeek. That's LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, $20 back on your first purchase. SeatGeek's my answer for tickets. It should be yours as well because they have made it easy. On the phone, right there, all the events, all the tickets, ticket scored and guaranteed. Use the promo code LOCKED to get what you need. All right, let's go to Carson Cunningham. He's been the host of Locked on Thunder, and he's got a heck of a story to cover this year. It's going to be really interesting. Let's hear how he breaks down the storylines of the Thunder. Hello, everybody. This is Carson Cunningham, host of Locked on Thunder. I am a sports anchor here in Oklahoma City at KOCO-TV, the ABC affiliate. Covered the team since their very first season, and what a season this will be. They've added their big three, so no shortage of storylines for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We have to start right there. Uh, By far, the biggest storyline is how are these big three going to play together? Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, and Paul George. Because, obviously, the big question is how are they going to gel? How are they going to mesh? Chemistry is the buzzword going around training camp. Russell was asked about chemistry. And he said, look, bro, I went to school. (laughs) I know how chemistry works. And so far, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, They haven't really shot the ball that well other than Carmelo Anthony. But by far, as we get into the regular season, how are they going to coexist in the clutch? Because Russell Westbrook was absolutely sensational last year. Probably the best clutch season we've ever seen. After the All-Star break, he averaged 11.6 fourth quarter points. That led the NBA. And in the final five minutes of a game within a five-point margin, which they deem clutch time, he also led the NBA with sixteen or with 6.2 clutch points per game. He was simply unstoppable in the clutch, even though everyone knew he was getting the ball. How was that going to work with Carmelo Anthony and Paul George? Obviously, you say, well, hey, now he's going to have more room to operate, right? Well, Paul George and Carmelo Anthony are used to having the ball, too. So that that is a huge storyline. How are they going to mesh and gel when the game's on the line. And another storyline for training camp is, you know, how do they have enough depth to win an NBA title? Because that's this team's goal. They added they added Patrick Patterson, who I think is going to be a viable role player for them. Steven Adams should have a much better season where he's not relied upon as much on the offensive end. He can kind of roam around, set screens. Alex Abrinas off the bench shooting threes. Raymond Felton is the backup point guard. So can these depth pieces play well enough for this Thunder team to reach its goals. That's another huge storyline. And just how are the rotations going to work? Billy Donovan has never had this much talent to work with. Maybe since the maybe since the uh, 2016 team that lost to the Warriors. But it's going to be fascinating to watch his rotations. Uh, what needs to happen for the best-case scenario? And I, as I said, the best-case scenario is them winning the NBA championship. And look, I know they have to go through Golden State and they're the overwhelming favorite. 
But that's the mindset of this franchise with the, the team they've added. And what has to happen for that? Obviously, the aforementioned chemistry has to work. Uh, you know, will these guys get along? You know, they are people. We, we overlook that fact. You know, it's no different than playing pickup. Sometimes you can't play with a certain guy. Just Your personalities don't mesh on the floor or away from the floor. Will the big three do that as well? And I think a big key for this is Alex Abrinas. Is he going to play? Is he going to make a step up? Not necessarily make the leap, but become a legitimate sharpshooter in the NBA because he will be able to space the floor off the bench. They need more scoring off the bench as well. I think he's a huge factor, and I think everyone's overlooking Patrick Patterson. The Raptors were night and day when he was on the floor versus off of it. He made them such a better team, and I think he's going to do the same thing in Oklahoma City, and they're going to need him to play backup center some. Can he do that? You know, they traded away in his canter. The only other backup center on the roster is Dakari Johnson, who's spent time in the G League, or has only played in the G League, never played in the NBA. So that those are huge questions, and I think if those guys step up and, and reach their potential, the best-case scenario is in play. Uh, as far as worst case, got to go back to the chemistry issue. What's going to happen with this team when they suffer a losing streak during the season, like midway through the year? You know, how, how are they going to handle Carmelo if he doesn't get the ball enough or Paul George or even if Russell is passing the ball and these guys are missing? And, will you know, if they're sniping in the locker room and post games, you know, Russell can be pretty combative after post games. Uh, he's never been a bad teammate or throwing his teammates under the bus by any means, but it's going to be fascinating to watch. And, you know, the worst case scenario is these guys are not getting along on the floor or even off of it. And every national show leads their leads their broadcast with, the Thunder are doomed. Carmelo, just trade Carmelo. Paul George is searching for houses in L.A. as we speak. He's as good as gone. Russell's a terrible teammate. We told you he was a ball hog. That is the worst case scenario. And if the chemistry doesn't work, that could be that could lead to their downfall for sure. And uh, a player I think will be viewed differently at the end of this season is Carmelo. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe he is just the cancer that he's portrayed to be in the locker room and on the floor as far as shooting the basketball every time he touches it. I don't think so. I think just the simple fact he packed his bags and flew to little old Oklahoma City, one of the smallest markets in the league, tells you all you need to know about where he's at in his career and what he wants to do. He's not coming to Oklahoma City to be the man, to shoot the ball every single time the game's on the line. He's coming here to win basketball games. He realizes his window's closing, if not you know close to shut. And I think he's going to play more like Olympic Mellow than the Mellow we saw in New York, where he was essentially playing on a G League team. Like, let's be honest. Like, what else was that guy supposed to do up there with that team, that roster? Uh, part of that's his to blame because he didn't take less money and all that. But I think Carmelo's really going to kind of change the narrative on his his career, really, or just the type of basketball player he is. And uh, as far as whose career trajectory is most impacted, I think, again, I hate to just beat a dead horse with Mellow, but... You know, this guy has been beaten and downtrodden and called a cancer. I think he's going to change a lot of people's minds. And, and also Paul George. Uh, I think people forget how good this guy is when they uh, they talk about the Thunder's outlook this season. This guy is as good of a two-way basketball player as you can find. He's as close for me as what you can get to Kevin Durant at the three spot as far as scoring defensively. Uh, he's, he's going to be a tremendous complimentary piece to Russell Westbrook. I think those two fit. Very well. So I think Mello and Paul George are both going to change a lot of people's minds of just how good these guys are. And I think Russell will get the best out of them as well. Uh, what rookie will have an impact this year? I tell you, when they drafted Terrence Ferguson, not a lot of people around here were too happy about it. They, they viewed him as a project, thought he'd spend most of his time in the G League. 
But through the preseason, he has been an absolute revelation. He's been the talk of preseason, really. Billy Donovan said, this guy's going to help us win basketball games. Paul George, Russell, Melo, on down the line, they all gush about the guy. I mean, he fits today's NBA. He's 6'7", can shoot the basketball. He's rail thin. He looks like Kevin Durant when he came in the league. He'll have to add some some weight as the season goes or as his career progresses. But he just fits today's NBA, and I think he's going to play. How much? 10, 15 minutes? Probably not that much every single night. But there's going to be times where Billy Donovan needs a pop off the bench, and he's going to turn around look at Terrence Ferguson and say, get in the game. And uh, I think I think Terrence Ferguson's going to make an impact for this team. How much? Not like a great, you know, game-changing series changing player but i think he's going to play which not a lot of people expected and finally best guess on how the season ends well i just i compare this team to super teams of yesteryear i go back to the 2008 celtics they won 24 games prior to assembling their big three thunder 147 they had russell they had steven adams alex abrinas andre robertson they weren't a lottery team they won 47 last year now are they gonna win 66 like that celtics team Probably not, but I think they're going to get pretty close. The Miami Heat, their big three. Back in 2010, they won 58 games. People forget they started that season 9-8. and eight. Things were not clicking. Well, the worst-case scenario seemed to be uh, in play. But then they went on a tear and won 58 games. I, I think that's how this season is going to play out. This Thunder team is going to struggle the first month or so. You know, Everyone's going to be doom and gloom, but then I think they're going to click and they're going to just annihilate teams. I think there's going to be a lot of games this year where Russell Westbrook does not play in the fourth quarter. They're going to overwhelm, team, overwhelm teams with their star power and just their depth. The, the amount of players they have they can throw at teams is going to be, I think, more so than people realize. And obviously the Warriors, their super team, they won 67 games. Um, I don't think they're winning 67, but I think they're going to get dang close to 60, if not more. So I'll, I'll put them right at 60. And you can come back, you can tweet me, you can tell me I'm an idiot afterwards, but this team is going to be awesome. They're going to be the second best team in the West. And they are going to battle the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Are they going to beat Golden State? Probably not. Golden State's unbelievable. The fact they keep adding guys on cheap deals, including Kevin Durant, just makes it even more of an unfair fight, really. And uh, you know, the, the Thunder would probably need an injury to the Warriors to make it, you know, dead even. But uh, I think they're going to give them as a close of a run as anybody has in, in the West in quite some time. So it's going to be a fun year. Uh, This has been your Locked On Thunder podcast season preview of the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's going to be a fun year. You can find me on Twitter at KOCO Carson and at Locked On Thunder. Well, now it's my turn to be the doubter. Let me start with this. I loved the Thunder before the Carmelo Anthony deal. Before the Carmelo Anthony deal, I thought they might have been number two, number three in the Western Conference. Then you add the Carmelo Anthony deal, and you're getting me an isolation offensive player whose offensive efficiency has declined in each of the last three seasons significantly. You tell me he's going to be Olympic mellow, but I'm not sure I believe it. And now I have Carmelo Anthony, who last year used 24 scoring opportunities a game. I drop him all the way down to 17. He's still crazily inefficient. The average player in the league is 1.1 points per scoring opportunity. This guy's 1.07. It's really not good. Couple that with Andre Robertson out there. Couple that with Kyle Singler. Patrick Patterson was a little below average. Raymond Felton was awful last year in L.A. Those are a minor amount of possessions, but all of a sudden, you look at the Thunder's offense. Russ is an average efficiency player, 
And other than Paul George and Steven Adams and Alex Abrinas, most of their guys are below average in efficiency. And when I project the Thunder offense, I project a team that's the ninth best offense in the Western Conference. I also projected a team that before Carmelo, I thought would have the best defense of five anywhere in the league if they rolled out Adams, Grant, Robertson, George, and Westbrook. Now they won't do that very often, if ever. So call me the naysayer here. I loved this team before Carmelo. I think they got they lost their defensive prowess. I think they became less efficient offensively. And I think they will struggle even with the amazing talent they have. Now, they have guys that can just win games. And so it's not like they're going to lose games, but they're closer to the Laker mess than they are to the Miami Heatles. Let's hear what Josh Lloyd says about some interesting fantasy decisions you have to make with this team. Hi, guys. It's Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell Westbrook was the number two fantasy player last season. I think he loses a touch of value this year with the addition of Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, but he was so far ahead the rest of the pack that 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 drop just brings him back down to being still in the conversation to be a top two pick, whereas Paul George should be fairly comfortably in that uh, middle to back end of the second round. Carmelo Anthony is getting drafted way too high on sides. I like him outside the top 50, but... If he slides, which I imagine he will now that this trade has gone down, he still can provide some good value in the 60s or 70s of drafts. Steven Adams is going to be a player who does, in fact, in, in fact impact your free throw percentage quite significantly, so you do need to bear that in mind. And he's not going to be getting tons and tons of shots, but his rebounding is quite valuable, as is his field goal percentage. The rest of the Thunder, they don't offer huge amounts for fantasy. Alex Abrines might be a three-point streaming option. Jeremy Grant, you can stream in for blocks. Um, but Andre Robertson and Pat Patterson, they don't really offer much, even though they will be probably the, the next two contributors. They're not going to offer enough to be standard league relevant. Well, after that analysis of the Thunder, you may not think I am seeing clearly, but I am. You know why? Because I have Warby Parkers on. I do. They're right here. Warby Parker glasses this, like, in fact, I got a picture from my wife today who's in New York who just stopped at Warby Parker and got new sunglasses. So Warby Parker's incredible. They have changed boutique quality eyewear and put it at a level where you can afford it. Sunglasses, $95. Prescription lenses, they start at $175. And the best part about it is you can take, how do I do this online? Easy. You do the free try-on program. Go to warbyparker.com slash locked. You order five pairs of glasses, and you try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. It's great. You can Because you know what happens here, at least for me, is I've got the style I like, but every now and then I've tried something different because I know it's a home try-on and really checked it out, and I actually bought one of them, one I didn't think I would get. My favorite pair is the Jennings. If that's available, that's my favorite pair. So check it out. There's no reason why glasses shouldn't be so affordable, and that is what Warby Parker's done. Sunglasses, $95. The prescriptions start at $175. The home try-on makes it easy for you. Go to warbyparker.com slash locked, and the cool thing is there's almost a billion people worldwide that lack access to glasses. 15% of the global population, and when you buy a pair of Warby Parker glasses, 
they distribute a pair to someone in need. That's what the guys who started this with a rebellious spirit to kind of break up the glasses world. They've done it, and now you can find out. Also, check out the iTunes app at warbyparker.com slash locked on your iTunes as well, and you can check out the new iTunes app that they have for you. Warbyparker.com slash locked. Now, let's go to the Portland Trailblazers. This is an interesting team. Dame Lillard, C.J. McCollum, but no Alan Crabb. Are they on the verge of getting back to the playoffs? Is the Nurkic world real, or is this a team about to fall out of the playoffs? This is Seth Johnston for Locked On Blazers, reporting from Portland, Oregon, where the big storylines going into the Blazers season. First of all, how good is their big three really? So when the Blazers acquired Nurkic at the trade deadline last season, he looked great next to Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And the team only had a partial season to see what those three looked like together. It looked great. And then Nurkic went down with a leg injury. The team is hoping that that was just a preview and that the the big three will will work even better this season now that they've had more time together. Uh, The next big storyline is what comes after the big three. So the Blazers need a lot of help on defense and they need some offensive help. Uh, especially with outside shooting and someone to take some ball handling pressure off of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Uh, and so those are two big areas. The lineup isn't set yet. Uh, Coach Terry Stotts is probably going to do a lot of experimenting to try to figure out what works the best uh, over the course of the season. For the Blazers to reach their best-case scenario, they're going to have to figure out how to improve defensively. Uh, which is tough because Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum uh, are both a little undersized. They're they're known to have their weaknesses defensively, so the team is going to be looking for others to step up, especially if you think about uh, Farouk Aminu, Mo Harkless, Ed Davis. The team is desperate for defense, and the next thing it's desperate for is somebody who can take some ball handling pressure off of Damian and C.J., and in the preseason uh, Stotts has been using Evan Turner as kind of a point forward to do a lot of that. And the team also needs some outside shooting. So there's a lot of questions um, and a lot of things that have to go right for the Blazers to really survive in a tough, tough Western Conference this year. Uh, and if the Blazers don't figure out how to improve defensively, uh, their worst case scenario, I think, <laughs> becomes a reality where They are a pleasant-looking offensive team to watch uh, without the defensive prowess to really stand out in the West. Uh, And they could even miss the playoffs. Player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season? That's Nurkic. Once again, he's the big X factor for the Blazers. So one criticism last year in Portland was that he looked out of shape. And it doesn't look like that will be a problem this year. He came into camp looking slimmer. He's looked very spry in preseason. The team needs him. He has a huge opportunity. This could be a six-man-of-the-year type season for Nurkic. And the Blazers are certainly hoping that at the end of this season, the perception of Nurkic is that he's a he's an all-star level center uh, and not just someone that was kind of a nice surprise. As for the rookies, the Blazers drafted two players in the first round of Last June's draft, they took Zach Collins out of Gonzaga with number 10, and they took Caleb Swanigan out of Purdue with number 26. Collins is a center prospect. He's flashed some some great potential in preseason that he's going to be the type of center who can uh, 
move very well, protect the rim, finish down low. But he's a bit of a longer-term project. No surprise. He's a one-and-done. Uh, Caleb Swanigan has looked ready to contribute immediately. Uh, he's playing in the power forward position, very savvy, very tough. Uh, he's mentioned that he's trying to bring an enforcer type of mentality, which the team really needs. And he's even flashed a little bit of a three-point shot. And if that's a consistent part of his game, it's going to be hard for the Blazers to keep him off the floor, especially if he can help create space uh, for Nurkic and take some pressure off of the perimeter players with that shooting. So, Caleb Swanigan will probably be a valuable member of the rotation pretty early, and Collins will see come along a little more slowly, um, but the team certainly likes his upside longer term. My best guess for how this season ends for the Blazers, I think we'll see them win something like 46 games, maybe a 6 seed, maybe a 5 seed, and have a long, uh, hard-fought first-round playoff exit. I know that's kind of disappointing, uh, but the West is so tough, they may not even make it. But I think they they make the first round. It's hard to see them going any further. And, of course, a team with a, such a high payroll like the Blazers have, if they're not making it past the first round, that opens up a lot of questions for the direction the team moves in after this season. Make sure you catch Seth. He has a good time on that show. Seth's actually a comedian. And so there's a fun feel to that Locked on Blazers show. Eric Garcia Gunderson still involved in that show. He's done a really nice job over the time with us. The Blazers, Terry Stotts is an offensive genius with a lot of talent. That usually makes for a good fantasy combination. Let's hear what Josh Lloyd has to say. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd from Locked on Fantasy Basketball here to talk about the Portland Trail Blazers. Damian Lillard finished last season really on fire. He was a top 10 player. I'm not sure he can be a top 10 guy over the course of the season, but he is a very, very strong pick at the start of the second round around between 12 to 15. That's sort as of well. CJ McCollum, he did drop off a little bit after um, Yusuf Nurkic arrived. His steal numbers dropped significantly, and that dropped his ranking down a fair bit. But in the back end of the second round, in the 25 to 35 range, CJ is strong, really high efficient scorer. Yusuf Nurkic was also awesome once he arrived in Portland. Can he keep that up? Can he stay healthy? They're the big questions, but with high-minute reliable centers being hard to find, Nurkic is a strong grab in that 35 to 50 zone in drafts if you're willing to take on that element of risk that's associated with him. As for the rest of the team, there's not really much there. Mo Harkless uh, saw a massive drop in his usage once Nurkic arrived, and I imagine the similar thing will happen this season, even with Alan Crabb gone. Evan Turner can be a streaming source of assists. Al Farouk Aminu, Caleb Swanigan, Noah Vonley, all these guys who can fill in minutes at the four, I don't think they're going to have consistent enough value to be standard league guys. You might want to take a swing on a guy like Swanigan, who's been good in, in the preseason, but once Vonley comes back, will enough minutes be there for him to sustain that value? I'm a little bit doubtful. Thanks to Josh. I didn't give you a pack breakdown on Portland. Here's an interesting note on the Blazers. I was a little surprised by this. Their offense actually comes out as the 11th best offense in the Western Conference. Now, why is that? Because the increased role of Evan Turner and his negative offensive prowess hurts them a great deal. Uh, Also, Yusuf Nurkic's numbers for the whole season last year were negative, so that might be false. Dame and CJ, they're incredible. Maurice Harkless is above average. Not another player that regularly plays on this team uses possessions above the league average. So every time you get it out of Dame or CJ's hands, you're in good shape as the other team. We've looked at New Orleans, OKC, and Portland. Let's go to one of the more interesting teams with a really interesting offseason by Vladi Divac, the Sacramento Kings. Jason Ross hosts their 
talk show. He has a pregame, postgame show, total pro, and you can tell when you listen to his Lockdown Kings every day. Here's Jason. Hey there, Jason Ross here from Locked on Kings, and the Sacramento Kings fans are excited about another NBA season ahead because this team has made the big decision to move on from DeMarcus Cousins. They did it at the NBA trade deadline. It really started a snowball of the NBA's biggest offseason in recent memory as far as name power changing teams and in different locations. But for the Kings, a couple storylines that we'll be following is the impact of that. That move was made to hit the reset button for an organizational change of philosophy. And they said, you know what? We are comfortable going young. We are going to flood this team with a bunch of young players, mix in some veterans. So what the offseason did for this team was give them cap space, give them flexibility. It allowed the young guys to play the final 25 games of the season. They had a good draft with four players coming in. And it is a very, very young roster. Three years or younger. Willie Cauley-Stein in his third year. And then... Nine other players are in year two or year one on this roster. So it's the youngest kind of team that's trying to develop a core. Then they've got five veterans mixed in. So it'll be watching the young guys develop will be one of the huge storylines heading into this season. As far as what needs to happen for the best case scenario to me for this team would be to clearly identify at season's end of those 10 players that I mentioned that are three years or younger, which guy, which two guys, which three guys, which four, you're not going to get all 10, but three, four guys that you can say with clarity at season's end are guys they're going to build around. I believe it's going to be De'Aaron Fox. I believe they like Scalabese here, guys like that, but they need to know, hey, this guy may be more of a rotational player that we'd like to keep, but we could move. This guy is going to be a guy that could be an all-star. This guy is going to be a core piece. They need to have those questions answered, I think at least, or have more clarity on them by the end of the season. As far as what's the worst case scenario, this is where I think the Kings are in excellent position. They have come to a realization that they don't have any all-stars. They're building with all these young players that I mentioned, and they're comfortable. They don't want to have a losing season, but they're comfortable knowing that it might take a year or two or three to get to where they want to go. So I don't know that there's a win total or a loss total that would derail the plan. It shouldn't. What would be the worst case scenario is if ownership got impatient and I think they've already alleviated that by extending Vlade Divac's contract, extending Dave Yeager's contract, and made any kind of crazy front office or coaching changes. That, to me, would be the worst-case scenario. I can't envision that. I know it was very apparent in something this organization has done, but I think they finally reached the point where they've got a vision, they've got a plan, and they got stability, which is exactly what this organization needed. As far as the guys I think you may be thinking of differently at the end of the season, I've got a couple of candidates And one certainly will be Willie Cauley-Stein. I think Willie, after the DeMarcus trade, played very well the final 25 games, is a more well-rounded NBA game, and I think he will be one that people will think of uh, differently around, certainly in Sacramento, but around the NBA as a guy that really is blossoming into a more of a complete player. I think people will be very excited about De'Aaron Fox because we always talk about things you can't teach. He's got a level of quickness and speed that is off the charts, absolutely off the charts, and I think he has got superstar written all over him, and he's just a great young man. So De'Aaron Fox would be the other guy. I would think people who are already excited about, but I think they'll think of even completely different after his first full season. Uh, Players who might have their career trajectory impacted the most this season on a positive or negative way. Um, This one's a tough one. It kind of goes back to that core of trying to find out guys 
that they're excited about. There's so many people in the Kings organization that are excited about Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has come over uh, finally to the U.S. The Kings have him on a three-year deal. He's technically a rookie, but uh, his ability to create, to shoot, uh, just gets how to play. I think a lot of people will be impressed by where his career goes quickly uh, in the NBA. As far as the rookies who will have an impact and how much it's the roster, what's, what's fascinating is their point guard position. George Hill comes in as the highest-paid king gets a, after a great year in the Utah Jazz. They draft De'Aaron Fox high, and the next guy on the list is Frank Mason, only the reigning college basketball player of the year so far through summer league and early preseason. He has been tough to keep off of the floor, so the three different point guards the Kings have could end up proving to be a strength of what this current version of the Sacramento Kings will be. And my best guess as to how this entirety of the season will end well, the easiest one to say would be another year without the playoffs. But I think what is encouraging is the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, they've got a general manager and a front office with more stability, a coach that they like that'll be kind of rounding into form and grooming these younger players. They'll need to find uh, the core pieces that they're looking for. But by all accounts, they have a locker room that's happy. The veterans are impressed by the young guys. I think the team will have fantastic chemistry. I think they'll be fun to watch. I think they'll have some nights where they beat some really, really good teams because I think they're going to compete. That's kind of a trade of a Dave Yeager team. I don't know what their true overall identity will be. They're going to want to run more than when they had Rudy and DeMarcus, more half-court players. So I think it's going to be something that Sacramento fans will fall in love with. NBA fans might be intrigued, those that check out the league pass. But in the end, I see a team that doesn't make the playoffs. I see a team that... Fights for right around the high 20s to 30 win mark. Maybe overachieves a little bit if, if all things go well. But certainly in the talented West, they'll be on the outside looking in. But knowing that they are building it the right way and that their future is set up well financially as far as contracts going forward and a roster that is filled with young players. One thing I'd watch on the Kings, I, the George Hill, Vince Carter, Zach Randolph Moves don't make sense to me unless they move them at the break. If they were to move them at the break and get anything for any of those guys, then it's really brilliant. Really brilliant. So let's see if they do that. How about from a fantasy standpoint, which of these guys do you trust? Here's what Josh Lloyd has to say. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Here to talk about the Sacramento Kings, a team which has got the potential to be the most frustrating fantasy team uh, in the entire NBA, given the fact that Jaeger is going to be resting players all through the season, and we're not going to know when that's going to happen. He's going to run mix of old guys and young guys, and we're not going to know how that's going to pan out on a nightly basis. Um, George Hill is a decent late-round point guard to get, but the the uh, resting risk is, is a real problem there. I do like Willie Cauley-Stein, but even he came out and said he doesn't know how many minutes he's going to be getting, and he might be playing behind Zach Randolph and Costa Kufos. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he looks like he could be in in, uh, in line for a starting spot. Will that be over Buddy Heald? Will he start alongside Bud? Will he play next to Garrett Temple? All these things are unknown at this point. I like Bogdanovich as a late pick, as a flyer. Probably overhealed, to be honest. I think he's got more upside, especially with his passing. Whereas guys like Garrett Temple and Zach Randolph, I think they should be left on the waiver wire. Scalabissier looked like a really interesting upside pick earlier on, but it appears like he is going to be limited behind Randolph and that's going to limit his upside. But if he does get the, a roll of 28 minutes a night, then I do like him as a late round flyer. Anybody have a feeling that Josh might have lost a fantasy game somewhere along the way because of Dave Yeager resting guys? I did. I did. All right. What do we got coming up? Golden State, Minnesota, Utah, San Antonio, and Phoenix. 
Let's go to the world champs. Drew Schiller, Grant Leifman have been hosting Lockdown Warriors for us. Done a great job. These are two rising stars in the business, and they have uh, moved on, actually. So congratulations to them. They just got a huge gig. They were nice enough to come back and do Lockdown Warriors for us. I really appreciate it. So thank you to those guys, and here is the breakdown of the Warriors. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Warriors. I'm Grant Liffman. And I'm Drew Schiller. And uh, we are thankful to be back with you again with the new start of the Warrior season 2018, well, 2017-2018 season, Drew. And uh, thank you, everyone, for bearing with us. I know we haven't had one for a little while, but uh, I promise you, uh, as things get ramped up uh, very soon, there's going to be Locked On Warriors will fly again. <laughs> it will fly again. We are recording yes. this on Thursday night, and you were listening to this on Friday before the weekend, which is the last weekend before the NBA regular season begins, because the Warriors, of course, open the season next Tuesday night against the Rockets. Yeah, so like try to pay attention to football just one more weekend, you know, before before the real sport starts. Now, Drew, let's use this pod, this episode as a way to kind of give us a season preview for the Warriors. What do you say? Perfect. Now, I have some questions that I'm going to throw out to you, and I want to get your answers as we go along here. And we're going to – are we going to get your answers, or do we not care about your answers? Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go second every time. What do you, how does that say? Mm, maybe you'll ask me, and I'll say, no, you go first. Okay, that's fair. So let's start with this. Give me one of the biggest storylines going into – you know, the season right now, since we're finishing camp, uh, the Warriors are about to start embark on the next season. So this question is sometimes hard when you have a team as good as the Warriors, because when you have the expectations that the Warriors have and they've just won the championship, you're, you're sometimes grasping at straws when it comes to these storylines. But to name a couple that I think will be fun to kind of track throughout the season, uh, can the Warriors actually be better this year than they were last year? Now, that's going to be hard at times to to answer, whether it be um, qualitatively or quantitatively. Because, yeah, it's hard to gauge that. Well, yeah. I mean, who, who knows if the Warriors are going to win more than 67 games, if that's your baseline for considering if they're better or not, or are they going to need to go 16-0 and 0 in the playoffs to prove that they're better or right. not? Um, you know, I think it'll. I think it'll mostly be qualitative when you when you look at just the way they're playing. But then again, they may have some games this year where uh, they just lose to a team that they're supposed to beat, and the reason for that will mostly be probably a lack of urgency or complacency. And we've heard. Yeah. Maybe a little apathy. Yep. We've heard Steve Kerr say that he thinks complacency is going to be the biggest challenge this year because the team knows that they um, can, you know, they're gearing up for April, May, and June. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be something to look at. And then I know one thing you probably want to talk about is the three-point shooting. Well, yes, and that obviously, as Steph Curry likes to say, is a big storyline, but I actually have a hidden one in there that I think is a little under underrated right now. Okay. And that is actually the contract status of Kevin Durant after the season and what's going to happen with Klay Thompson as he goes into his last year the following season. And I think a lot of it depends on how this season plays out. It depends on the chemistry. You know, there everyone wants to hear, you know, the national media wants to hear this there's issues with the Warriors, the Under Armour versus Nike and all these different, I don't know, 
the grasp at straws to try to get an, an issue in their locker room. But you just never know how a season plays out and how it can affect the chemistry of a team. I think it's going to be very strong, but you never know how Kevin Durant will feel after the season. And more importantly, you don't know how the Warriors will be in their place in the league with Clay Thompson going into a contract year if they think they need to deal him. Yeah, well, just a couple things just based on what you said. Of course, the, the Under Armour versus Nike thing. Uh, Steph kind of squashed that when he put out on Instagram the picture of him and Durant in China, and they even hashtag Sneaker Wars, and he said, why so serious to Kevin Durant, which was very funny. Um, and then with Clay Thompson, uh, over the last couple of weeks, he has you know made some comments about taking less than the max, kind of like Kevin Durant did, and that he probably could see himself doing something like that. So those things are are definitely going to there's going to be some benchmarks throughout the year where we kind of look back on those sort of topics and see if there see if there's anything there or if it's just about the the product on the court. Absolutely. And in terms of three points, uh, three pointers, you and I have discussed this quite a few times uh, on our show, Warriors Outsiders, as well. Uh, I truly believe that. Well, so for last year, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant. Steph Curry and Klay Thompson all shot below their career three-point percentage. I expect them all – I think Draymond could shoot around his th- career one, which is around 33%. But I do expect Clay, Steph, and KD to shoot one of their better years of their whoa, career. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting soft. You have no, 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 no. Out- wait, 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 wait. I said I expect. If I'm going to make a bold prediction – there's a big, big difference here. If I'm making a bold prediction – I think Clay, Steph, and KD have a chance to beat their individual marks for a season high in three-point percentage. I think with the chemistry that has developed since last year with Kevin Durant, they'll finally be able to utilize and be comfortable in an offensive scheme that has so many superstars on the floor. I really, truly think they're going to play one of their best years, especially Steph Curry. Okay, and just to be clear, in case you're listening and want to know what the uh, career shooting percentages from distance are for those three guys. Steph Curry, 45.5%, which he did, when was that? Well, he did. He, he shot 45.4% yeah, two seasons in his, ago. in his MVP, the second MVP season. Yes, but he actually was 455 back in the lockout year, but he only played 26 games that year. So really, right. it's the 454 from 2015-16. Kevin Durant's uh, career high in three-point shooting was all the way back in his second year. He yep. was 42.2%, but the volume wasn't very high. It was just three per game. So and he, really, shoot, and he shoots about five now, five to six. Yeah, last year he was five. The year before in Oklahoma City, he was 6.7 yeah. um, attempts. Yeah. And then Clay Thompson, his career high is 43.9%. You may hear me uh, typing in the background. I just remembered that. I'm looking it up on Basketball Reference right now. Yep, 43.9% in the Warriors' first championship season of 2014-15. Yeah, and those are very high numbers that they would have to beat. But if there's ever going to be a year or a team that can beat their personal best, it's this one. They have already developed the chemistry with each other. The reason they got off to such a slow start, in my opinion, last year was just chemistry. That was the reason they shot so poorly in the beginning. And Steph Curry didn't have his normal stretches where he'd be just incendiary, and that would tra- that would last for oh, a super long time. Oh, good word. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. See, Although we did he did. Do a- what? Go ahead. We 
we didn't do a podcast for a while, so I learned a little new vo- vocabulary in the time. But no, he would have huge stretches, of course. But like he would be able to carry those on for weeks at a time in the past. Last year, he was going at like a three, four game clip at a time. Yeah, he had that one kind of extended streak right after Christmas. But um, right. yeah, you're right. The, the chemistry early on and the uncertainty, you know, just guys right. trying to figure out their roles. Um, and then one last thing about Draymond's three-point shooting. He was 38.8 in 2015-16, and that dropped off last year to 30.8. So an eight percentage point fall off. I think he's going to be at 35% this year. I was going to say 34 to 35. I okay. think that's fair. And if he does shoot that, he is very dangerous out there. Well, let's put that kind of running with this theme that we're saying here. What needs to happen for this best-case scenario? And and please do not say just stay healthy. We're no, ignoring yes. health. We're ignoring health in this situa- situation. Okay, well, best case scenario for the Warriors is obviously them winning the championship, which would mean back-to-back titles, which is no doubt going to kind of be the message that I think Draymond Green is delivering to the guys, what Steph Curry, Steve Kerr. The, you know, the yeah. Warriors are trying to build their franchise after the San Antonio Spurs model and the Spurs, despite this incredible run over the last two decades, they never won back to back. So that is the rallying cry for the Warriors. So in order for that to happen, um, the Warriors just need to not have the disease of me or the disease of more. They just need to do what they do best. And that is share the basketball and play defense at the level that they know they're capable of doing. And if they do that, regardless of what other teams are able to possibly cobble together before the trade deadline, if they're going to really try to take a shot at the Warriors, the Warriors are going to win it all. Absolutely. I I completely agree with everything you're saying. And in a best-case scenario situation, we're talking about the three-point percentages that we expect to go higher. We're talking about a lower turnover rate, the same way they played in the playoffs where they had had one game with four turnovers. They had two games with seven turnovers, I believe it was. It was just astounding how well they're uh, taking care of the ball for certain games, other games not so much. So if they can keep the turnovers down, get that three-point percentage higher, I'm not saying health, but otherwise uh, everything else will play out and they are the best team in the league by far when everything's going right. But, Drew, on the flip side... What would lead you to a, what would lead to a worst case scenario for the for the Warriors? And please, again, don't say injuries. Worst case scenario would be if they somehow allow this outside chatter to uh, seep into the locker room, and just you start to see the smallest little uh, chemistry issues uh, pop up. Um, Another thing I think that could be worst case scenario would be if the Warriors really, really slip defensively because mostly out of effort right? and they start to develop some bad practice habits because they get bored during the regular season. And then all of a sudden, when it's really time to start to gear up for the playoffs, they've developed bad habits to the point where they aren't able to, uh, to rely on the stuff that they... Uh, built over the last couple of years, but I'm saying all of this knowing that that's just simply not going to happen. I know that, that's true, and something that can happen perhaps is they didn't have too many games last year that ended up with a close game at the very end where they had to have one last shot. They didn't have many of those games, and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, maybe that's an issue at some point. I, I don't think it will be, but in a worst case scenario, those become issues. 
another worst case scenario it actually has nothing to do with the Warriors, and that'd be like the Cavs or the Celtics making some gigantic trade, right? That makes them that much better if they acquire Anthony Davis and they don't give up too much. You know, that's all of a sudden a very formidable team. That is a worst case scenario for the Warriors. I still have trouble believing a team can make enough moves to really surpass the Warriors in talent. You never know what happens in a series, but uh, it'd be hard to surpass them right. uh, in any way. Now, Drew, player most likely to be thought of differently from right now to the end of the season. I think that this is a pretty easy one. I think we'll probably agree here. I think it's Nick Young. Um, I, I actually... I, I, I go on, go on. You just forgot to. You just forgot about him. Uh, no, 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 no. I thought. I thought. No, I think he's. No, I'm actually glad. I, I'm, I'm glad that we have different answers yeah. apparently right here. So the reason I'm saying Nick Young is just because he has gotten a lot of the headlines during training camp. A because he um, is one of the personalities on the team that uh, you know the beat writers want to write features about, and he gives you great quotes and. Look, he's the one guy who there has been some negative uh, words written about during training camp, and that's because he came in a little bit out of shape and he's a little bit behind the curve. Um, when it comes to being up to speed with the the system, and you know, he did not play in the Warriors' third preseason game, which was their second game in China. So he, you know, it may take him some time actually to get comfortable and to actually really make an impact. And if he is not able to sacrifice and to buy into what the Warriors do, then I think other teams around the league next summer, when it comes to Nick Young's next contract, uh, they may you know, be a little bit apprehensive about throwing some dollars at him. I think he really has an opportunity, though, with the Warriors to to develop a, a new image and he could be seen as a guy who, even if he's not with the Warriors next year, a, a different contender may want Nick Young on board. Completely. He has a, he has a ton at stake. And the guy that in Nick Young was the obvious choice in this situation, but actually the guy I'm looking at is, was the obvious choice from last year now, it, but I mean it in a different way this year, JaVale McGee. Uh, I think last year obviously was an attitude thing. It's the same way we look at Nick Young, right? You mean but going I'm, into the season it was an attitude Yeah, going thing? into the season. Right. Now, that kind of has been squashed. People now think that he's a great teammate, really blended into the system well by the end. I'm looking at on-the-court performance. JaVale McGee right now is kind of an afterthought in the Warriors system. They still have Zaza Pachulia, David West, Jermon Green, and also Jordan Bell is getting a lot of headlines. JaVale McGee is kind of flying under the radar right now. Is and he? I do. I do think so. Yes. As compared to, I, the, the reason I'm saying this, as right now in the preseason, for whatever reason, he's getting about like five to seven minutes of run. I think, potentially, there is a chance that JaVale McGee, by the end of the season, could get by far the most minutes of any center on the team, including Zaza, who I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, but when, McGee, you, when you say by far... I don't think there's a – literally, I don't think there's enough minutes to go around. I think there's a potential he starts by the end of the year. Interesting. See, I think, I think that Zaza, and he has said this, he, Zaza is going to be – I think he's going to hit the ground running from day one because he oh, talked no. a lot last year about how I it like took Zaza. him a long I like time. The, I like Zaza this year. I do. I do. And I think he's actually going to start very well. I'm saying by the end of the season, 
JaVale McGee made such big strides last year on defense that I think those strides he'll keep making throughout this season. And I do think by the end of the year, he has the ability to be the offensive force while not being a liability at all on defense that I think he could surpass Zaza Pachulia on the depth chart in that way. Okay, but I still think that JaVale is going to be tasked with going out there and playing four to five minute bursts where he gives everything he has. Absolutely. And he's probably only going to play maximum, you know, 12 to 15 minutes per game. Maximum. Yeah, but that would be in the beginning. I'm saying we're talking about from right now to the end of the season. I can see by the end of the season something changing, but, you know, you never know with that. Okay. Uh, now, players who cre- whose career tra- uh, trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad. I'm going to start with this one, Drew. Um, I'm going to go with Patrick McCaw on this one. He, he, this is a topic that I was going to bring up during the two or three biggest storylines, but I'm glad you did right now. Yeah, Pat- Patrick McCaw, being a second-round pick, he's a two-year contract. So this is his contract year. He's a restricted free agent for the Warriors. This is a big deal because it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Warriors uh, play him enough to earn a big contract after this. I think Patrick McCaw is going to make, speaking of strides, this guy is going to be in some crucial moments, I believe, this season, potentially into the playoffs. Will he have enough minutes to really prove to another team that he's deserving of a big contract? I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see how his career goes from this season in terms of are the Warriors able to retain him if they could retain him at a good rate they would probably jump through hoops to do it because they have only so much they can spend on right now with their superstars yeah Patrick Patrick McCaw's my guy yeah I I totally agree and I think that there the word is out on Patrick McCaw that he is a guy who can be a terrific um rotation player for you he, he's not going to ever be a superstar uh but he's a guy who can guard multiple positions he's going to continue to develop his shot he doesn't turn the ball over he's a good passer he's just an all-around solid player and i i really don't i mean yes other teams around the league who scout ex- extensively they know what patrick mccaw is at this point and if he just has any sort of flashes which he which we know he's going to Right. If you're if you're a rival team, you have to throw a contract at oh, him. Oh, you take him. You got to he's going to be a restricted free agent and you have to really really make the Warriors sweat and say, "I don't know if we can match that because teams can put in these deals with for restricted free agents where it's like the second or third year the the salary spikes to a level and the Warriors right. just aren't going to be comfortable paying that." So if you're trying to, to, to chip away at this Warriors uh, potential budding dynasty, you got to be able to pluck away particularly some young guys who the Warriors right. are hoping to be a part of the organization in the future. So that is definitely going to be interesting and something we'll talk about throughout the season. Absolutely. And I was trying to think of who's a guy that I could see Patrick McCaw's career resembling. And that's been... I've been thinking of recently is Trevor Ariza. Um, Trevor Ariza has never gotten star status at any point, but he actually has helped the Lakers win a championship. He's always been a great defender and he hits an open three. He he slashes to the rim. I could see him being a Trevor Ariza. And that is, that is a great player to have on a team. 
Yeah, I, I, I see some similarities. Ariza is a little taller. Ariza is probably a He's little bit He's not as bit much more. of a ball handler. Ariza is more of a pure shooter, I would say, than, than McCaw. But Maybe. McCaw in Summer League really showed the ability to, to shoot off McCaw, the dribble. Yeah, I think McCaw is going to be able to put up a percentage, dude. I really do. Yeah, the only thing is, is for a guy like him, if he starts off poorly and he doesn't get a lot of shots, it's, it's not easy to shoot a really good percentage when you don't get to True. shoot a decent amount. So, True. Even though um, Ian Clark did. Yeah, and that's why Ian Clark was so valuable off the bench. And right. It, I was very surprised he only got a minimum deal, but you know, hopefully he can get some minutes for the Pelicans, especially with Ray John Rondo being out. So were you agreeing with me that McCaw's the career trajectory guy that uh, you're looking at as well? Yeah, and then I think that my answer of Nick Young, it kind of falls within that category. Right. Um, but... Yeah, I can't. I don't really think there's another. I mean, everybody else is really under contract. I mean, well, I maybe you can look at Damian is, Jones. Yeah, the only other person I can think of is Omri Caspi, yep. who has a has a chance to play some meaningful minutes here or there and hit some big shots. And you know, he's on a one year deal. If he wins a ring and plays a crucial part in shooting forty percent from the field, there's plenty of teams that need anyone that can provide the energy that he's hopefully going to bring to the Warriors. Yeah, so. but then again, the Warriors could get him back next year, maybe on the full mid-level taxpayer exception that they gave Nick Young. So True, true, but uh, obviously that's something that Caspi, you know, depending on how well he plays and how much he plays, maybe he can get more than that in a longer deal somewhere else. Yeah, um, I don't know if there's going to be enough minutes to do that, all health permitting, obviously. So rookies, that will have the impact. So <laughs> there's only one. There's only one to really talk about. Now, Damian Jones, we can kind of throw in there just being a young guy. Um, I, they tried to get Damian a little more run during the preseason. I just don't see it this year Correct. being a guy. I could see him. Do you see him going down to Santa Cruz at all? Yeah, I think Damian Jones and Jordan Bell will both see some time down in Santa Cruz. Kevon Looney, also a question mark. He probably right. will see a good amount of time there, too. For for Jordan Bell, the interesting comments from Steve Kerr um, at practice uh, the other day, or was that yesterday or today? Yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday. meaning Wednesday. Uh, he basically said that uh, Jordan Bell, He, I think the exact quote from Kerr was, I wouldn't say he's going to be in the rotation, but I will play him against certain matchups. Right. So with, with Zaza and JaVale and David West all coming back, it, that, that's why we were surprised to see all those guys back. And right. that it definitely crowds things for Damian Jones and Jordan Bell, but the Warriors aren't too disappointed in that because it just allows these guys to not have as much pressure on them and they can continue to learn from these veterans. And then next year, or even if it's the year after that, then they'll be more ready for a bigger role. Well, one thing we haven't really mentioned yet, uh, the Warriors are going to rest guys a yes. little more often. David West, and for sure. Yeah, David West, but I really think the the big four are going to get more rest. Include also Iguodala thrown there as well, and Livingston. So it could be one of those. You're going to have games where two of the stars sit instead of a whole massive sit because they they're not supposed to do that anymore. Yeah, I don't but, think we're going to see two of the stars sit like on on an actual rest. I think they'll have to make up an excuse for an injury. Okay, yeah, but sure, they make up an excuse for an injury. Okay. But that's where someone Nick Young, Omer Caspi. Uh, Patrick McCaw and Jordan Bell, that's where we're going to get most of their minutes are on those days. And let's say Draymond Green and David West are sitting out the same game. Right. Jordan Bell's going to get a lot of run. Yep. He could get 10 to 15 minutes those games. Correct. So that's where we're going to see 
Jordan Bell, and he will have him. You know there's going to be moments where we're going to be like, that guy's going to be good. Yep. The guy's going to be real good. I mean, we're already saying that. Yeah, I know. So let's, let's obviously, I've said obviously three times now, and I've been counting them. I'm trying to be Steph Curry. <laughs> Your best guess on how this season ends, Drew. So who are they playing in the finals? <laughs> and, and yeah. So this is what I want to see happen. I want to see the Warriors get the opportunity to play the Thunder, Spurs, and Rockets in the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. So that's, realistically, that's not going to happen. They're going to yeah. probably play two of those three. Uh. Well, that, that's okay. That's that's your prediction. Sure. Well, who else do you think could be could sneak into the Western Conference Finals? Well, I think in the Western Conference. So you said Spurs, Thunder, and Rockets? They're going to most that- likely play two of those three in the playoffs. Yes, at least one. That's, that's what well, I'm Well, I mean, look, let's just say the Thunder are four, and the Spurs are three, and the Rockets are two, and if the Thunder get out of the first round, then the Warriors would play them in the semifinals. Right. And then in the Western Conference Finals, it'd most likely be the Rockets or the Spurs. So I'm going to go out, and I'm going to say, you know what? It, it's going to be Warriors-Cavs for the fourth straight year. Really? You don't yep. think it... Okay. So. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not I'm sorry I'm not going to say something crazy. I just think that um although I am very skeptical about Isaiah Thomas's health. I know. I know. I I still think that the Cavs have enough to get back to the finals. Plus I just don't see LeBron not getting to the finals in the last year of his contract with Cleveland. So I'm going to be boring. I'm going to say Warriors Cavs and I'm going to say the Warriors are going to win it again. But that's that's not boring in the actual storyline. By the end of the year, it would be awesome to see the Warriors play the Cavs again. Oh yeah, as long as we there. as long as we get some some really fun playoff series where it's like Warriors Thunder, um, and, right. or the Warriors get to face the Rockets or the Spurs again, and the Cavs have or to go Cavs through the Celtics. Celtics. Yeah, and maybe the maybe the Wizards again, or there there's going to be matchups. I think for the Cavs' sake, just one little bit about them. Health is an actual question mark with them. Even, even LeBron might not be ready for the season. But that's one thing. But they're also relying on a lot of older guys. Dwayne Wade, how how can you count on Dwayne Wade or Derrick Rose to be healthy for a full season? Well, that's why getting Jay Crowder really was huge. Jay Crowder is a fantastic addition. Fantastic addition to that team. I you fact, really, really emphasize fantastic in case our good friend uh, Chris, who's a LeBron Cavs fan, oh, listens. I, I am... I am a I am a Crowder fan for that team. I was thinking about in the offseason who's the perfect fit to go to a Cavs team like that. It's Jay Crowder. Yep. However, having said that, Derrick Rose, uh, uh, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, they're all very injury prone at this point. And that's your that's their depth right there. So I, I don't know. You'll Unless you think Jeff Green's going to have a career renaissance, I truly, truly am one of the biggest Jeff Green haters in in since he's gone into the league. He probably is a great guy, Jeff Green. If you're listening right now, <laughs> you're, you're probably a really good human, and I, I know nothing about that. But as a basketball player, I'm not, I'm not a fan of yours. Not for you. Not for you. Yeah, not, not for me. Uh, Drew, I agree with you. Uh, Cavs, Warriors, Warriors win it uh, this year. Uh, that's it. Just seems wow, like it's way to destined. go out on a limb, dude. I know it just seems like it's destined to that again. Um, any other little nuggets you want to give to everyone? Not Denver Nuggets, just life nuggets uh, before, the, <laughs> before the Warriors 
embark. Den- Denver Nuggets, one of those teams going to be competing for one of those final three or four playoff yeah. spots. It's going to be a bloodbath in the West. Uh, no, and, don't just... sli- and don't sleep. I'm saying this one more time. Don't sleep on our guy David Locke's team, the Utah Jazz. I really, really think the Utah Jazz have a chance to still finish as the five seed in the West. Excuse me? You heard what I said. Oh, wow. Sorry, uh, Jazz fans, and I'm sorry, David Locke, but uh, the Jazz have no chance to be the fifth team in the West. They have a chance. No, they don't. <laughs> they have a chance. I don't even I, think the Jazz are going to make the playoffs. So I think it's between five and seven in the playoffs. Yeah, I disagree. Okay, well, we'll see during this season. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, Locked On Warriors uh, has been a blast this summer, and yes. I am so happy that the season is finally upon us. Absolutely. And if you hadn't had a chance yet, please follow Drew Schiller on Twitter. That's at D-R-E-W-S-H-I-L-L-E-R. And you can follow me, Grant Liffman, at G-L-I-F-F-M-A-N-N on Twitter. All right, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Remember those names, Liffman and Schiller. They're going to be they're going to be stars. They're rising stars. So it was really fun to have them as host of Locked On Warriors Class Act to come back and do that for us. Thank them very much. Let's go to Josh Lloyd and his breakdown on the Warriors. Hi guys, Josh Lloyd here from Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Here to talk about the Golden State Warriors, and there's not really a huge amount to talk about with this team. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are both locks for the top six, much like they were last season. Draymond at the back end of the second round. You do have to deal with Draymond's low points, but you can build that up in other areas, or you can just punt that category. Whereas Clay Thompson's a guy who falls within the top 40 for his point scoring, three point shooting, and his elite efficiency. Other players on this team, Andre Iguodala, Zaza Pachulia, uh, Nick Young, Pat McCaw, I don't think they're going to really have any sort of standard league value unless one of the main four guys goes down, especially Andre Iguodala. If, say, we have Durant or Thompson missing some time, then uh, then Iguodala can step in and provide some value. But for now, he's more just a streaming option, and that's about it on this team. How we can make one of the greatest teams of all time boring. No, we didn't do that. All right, well, guess what our next stop is? It's the Utah Jazz. I'm the host of Locked on Jazz as well, the radio voice of the team, in fact, and I get to take you through where the Utah Jazz sit. The biggest storylines to me about this team, and I find them very, very interesting, is number one, can a team built on defense be as successful as teams built on offense? We got a great preview from Adam Mattis of the about the Denver Nuggets. We heard uh, from Seth about the Portland Trailblazers. We've heard we're going to hear about the Minnesota Timberwolves from Colton. In a lot of ways, the Jazz are just the opposite version of these teams. In other words, Denver's offense is as great as the Jazz defense, and the Jazz offense actually might be a little bit better than Denver's defense. So, what is the value of a great defensive team? And that I think is one of the real questions about the Utah Jazz coming forward. And can you be a great defense? team if you struggle offensively. Utah's going to have to go to a very egalitarian offensive system without Gordon Hayward and without George Hill this season. They premise, or The premise of their offense is the pass, the movement, and the pick. And are they going to be able to get NBA players good enough looks to be able to score? How is this team going to score is probably the number one storyline that's out there. Ricky Rubio is the big addition and does storyline number three to me is does Ricky Rubio, as advanced metrics have said, really, truly make his teammates better? To me, that's probably the biggest, three biggest questions. What is the value of defense? How is this team going to score? And is Ricky Rubio really a guy that makes his teammates better? That, to me, is what 
to me is the kind of the question to me on how this team looks. The best case scenario for the Utah Jazz is that defense wins. Walk me walk you through this numerically for a second. Last year the Utah Jazz defensive rating was a 102.7 third best in the NBA. They're better defensively at the point guard. They're better defensively with Cephalosha. Epe Udo's back in the NBA after two years in Turkey. He's a tremendous defensive player. Favors is healthy after last year. They're being dreadful defensively when Favors was on the floor without Gobert. There's a real chance this team's better defensively. Hayward's a good defensive player. They lost him. Hill's a good defensive player, though he's injured much of the year, and they lost him. But they upgraded defensively Young Donovan Mitchell should be pretty good. The Dante Axum injury does take away a little bit of their length, but this is a long, long team. 7-9 with Rudy Gobert, 7-4 with Derek Favors, 7-4-5 with Epe Udo length. That's their length, not their height. These guys are cephalocious, 7-2. So their best-case scenario is that they're even better than they were defensively a year ago. But even if they're last year at 102.7, the league average offense was 106.7. If they can be average offensively, 15th in the league, and maybe they can't, but this is best-case scenario, and they're still elite defensively, all of a sudden this team's differential is plus four. You start looking back at last season, and plus four puts you up into very rare air of what kind of team you are in the NBA. And they then all of a sudden they're the surprise team, and Quinn Snyder's the coach of the year. Because if you rank with a plus four differential... The only teams last year that were better than that were obviously the Warriors, obviously the Spurs, the Rockets, the Raptors, the Clippers, and last year's Jazz. You would be, at a plus-four differential, the sixth-best team in the NBA. Worth noting that if the Jazz, and maybe this is going to fall in their most likely case scenario, if the Jazz can be as elite defensively, and they have an offensive rating that's only 104.7, two points worse than league average, right around where Memphis and Sacramento and Chicago were a year ago. They'd be plus two, and there were only eight teams in the league last year that were plus two defensively. Or, oh, excuse me, differential. So that should be interesting. The worst case scenario is this team simply can't score. That Rodney Hood can't stay healthy. That they simply cannot score. Ricky Rubio, who shoots 29% for his career in the final five minutes of a close game, is in fact the reason why the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves lost so many leads late in games, and they can't. They they go to games. They're close. It's 92 all, and they simply cannot score at all. The player you are going to look at differently at the end of this season. I don't know if it's fair to say this, but the rookie Donovan Mitchell is real. The Jazz traded their their pick and Trey Lyles to take the 12th pick of the draft in Donovan Mitchell, and the kid has got the whole package. He looks a little bit like Damian Lillard did when he came into this league, completely ready to take over and make that impact. He's got a seven foot wingspan for a kid who's just six foot three, excuse me, who's the 13th pick of the draft. And he can score. And this team is desperate for someone who can score. I think he's going to average close to 15 points a game this year for the Jazz. I think he's going to play an awful lot. I think 
his he hits every weakness this team has. He plays with pace. He plays with aggressiveness, and he can score the basketball. And he's fearless. His dad was a career minor leaguer. He now works for the New York Mets. He's grown up around the game. He's got a great disposition. He's almost too good to be true. The players whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, is Rodney Hood, but I don't have any idea which it is. If Rodney Hood can't stay healthy again or can't handle the weight of being the man, his career trajectory is going the wrong direction. If he steps forward, he's a restricted free agent who is going to be able to have major, major money thrown in his direction. And so in a lot of ways, I don't have any idea which way it's going to be, but to me, Rodney Hood is the player whose career trajectory is going to be the most impacted this season, either good or or bad. I just don't know which way. He's a bona fide shooter. He's a bona fide scorer. He is unable to stay healthy. He's been very, very streaky. He has not been a guy you can rely on his career. He's a 50-50 player. In other words, some nights he's 50% he's on and some nights he's off. He's going to have to become a go-to consistent night in and night out guy to change his trajectory. And if he doesn't, there's probably some people who wonder if he's, you know, goes to the route of Contavious Caldwell Pope or someone like that. The other career trajectory I want to mention is Rudy Gobert. Without Rudy Gobert is thought of right now as exclusively a defensive player. He was second-team All-NBA. The pressure he is going to put on on top of the rim for the Utah Jazz this year, he averaged in the second half of the season last year 17 points a game while shooting 70%, and that was without Ricky Rubio as your point guard. Rubio turned Nikolai Pekovic into a bona fide, into a big-time scorer. There is a chance that Rudy Gobert is going to average 18, 19 points a game, shooting 65%, and that's why the Jazz offense is going to be average is because he's truly going to become one of the dominant offensive players as well as defensive players. The rookie will have an impact. I just talked about he's Donovan Mitchell. I do think, depending on injuries, there's a kid by the name of Royce O'Neal who spent two years in Europe, finished at Baylor, likely to make the team and I think it's going to get time before the season's over. I think the Jazz, I had the Jazz winning 44 games. The schedule came out, and they ended up getting screwed a little bit. They only played three games against the Lakers, three games against the Kings, three games against, the I think, the Grizzlies, and three games against one of the other lesser teams in the Western Conference. That's going to cost them a win or two. The Dante Exum injuries already happened to them. I think uh, unless Alec Burks is really able to be a difference maker, I think this team wins 43 games, maybe 42 games, knocks on the door for the eighth playoff spot. But that best-case scenario is not crazy, that their defense is so good that it allows them to be uh, average offensive team, and then they are the surprise team of the NBA. You can follow me at Locked On Jazz. You can follow me on Twitter at Locked On Sports, and we're Locked On NBA here, obviously. So that is the preview of the Utah Jazz. Let's hear what Josh Lloyd has to say about the Jazz. 
Hi guys, Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here, here to talk about the Utah Jazz. Rudy Gobert last season, down this stretch of last season, was scoring at a much elevated rate, and now with Gordon Haywood gone, he's going to have to assume a lot more of the offensive role. Now, his free throw percentage is a real problem, especially how much he goes to the line. So if you're not willing to punt free throw percentage, Gobert's probably not the guy for you. But his rebounds, his blocks, his field goal percentage, and his scoring should all be really, really valuable for this season. Ricky Rubio, yes, we know the field goal percentage is a concern, but the assists, the steals, decent rebounding for a point guard. And like Gobert, down the stretch of last season, he was able to up his scoring to a significant level, so maybe he can continue that on an offensively starved Utah Jazz team. I like Joe Ingles as a late-round pick, especially for his assist numbers and his three-pointers, and he gets steals at a pretty decent rate as well, while Derek Favors looks like a real steal going late. He could return back to his top 50 value from a couple of seasons ago. Rodney Hood's going to absorb a lot of the scoring load that Haywood has left behind, so I like him as a last pick. The injuries obviously are a concern for Hood, but if he can get back his assist numbers to three-plus per game, hit two threes a game and score close to 20 points, then he's clearly going to beat his ADP value. Guess Josh and I saw the same thing with the Rudy Gobert. Jazz do not come out very well on the pack offensive rating for the season. They come out overall... uh, if. They come out negative. They just do not have a lot of guys on their roster that are positive offensive players. You have to assume that Donovan Mitchell, as much as I talked high hopes of him, is a player that will be uh, negative in his rookie year. Yeah, the Gobert and Ingles are those two, and it could be a tough year for Joe Ingles. So that's going to be the real question for the Jazz, whether they can score. They come out as the 12th-ranked offensive team in the Western Conference tied with the Dallas Mavericks. Minnesota does not come out badly. They had a great offseason. Colton's the host of Locked on Wolves. Let's hear what he says about a optimistic Minnesota season. This is Locked on Wolves host Colton Molesky bringing you the T- Minnesota Timberwolves season preview. Looking at the Timberwolves big ad- additions, their big moves throughout the summer, what we're looking forward to, what they maybe need to work on preseason. We have the preseason game kicking off this weekend, the 30th of September. The Lakers are playing the Timberwolves, so that'll be the first action we can really see. Not the real game action, obviously. It's preseason, but the first time we can actually see the Timberwolves take the court in an actual game setting. But first of all, going over some of the big moves of the summer for the Timberwolves. Obviously, The number one move they made was Jimmy Butler coming to the team via a trade with the Chicago Bulls on draft night. They traded Jimmy Butler for Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. They flip-flopped picks with the Chicago Bulls and ended up taking Justin Patton at the 16th spot. But the big addition there, obviously, Jimmy Butler for... Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. And the big thing that Jimmy Butler brings, he obviously comes over averaging 23 points per game last season. But the big thing he brings to the Timberwolves is that defensive side, that defensive grit that he gives the team. It's something that the Timberwolves didn't really have last year as much as they needed it, especially in the fourth quarter. They gave up a lot of fourth quarter leads. And per 100 possessions, they were giving up about 109 points per 100 possessions. That were in 26th in the league. So definitely bottom half of the league, bottom third of the league in defense. They needed something to bolster that defensive unit. And you saw head coach Tom Thibodeau kind of starting to build the team towards that side of the ball. He got 
Jimmy Butler. He went and signed Taj Gibson. He got Jamal Crawford, some veterans, a veteran uh, in Taj Gibson who was going to add defensive depth to the bench. Jamal Crawford was there to add some shooting and another veteran for this really young team. And you could kind of see building on that draft night when they got Jimmy Butler, the nucleus that they wanted to have around Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, the future of this franchise. So they go out and they get Jimmy Butler. They make the big splash in free agency right right off the bat and get Jimmy Butler. They've added to the defensive side. This is one of Thibodeau's guys. This is one of the guys that he's really built, and now he gets him from the Bulls. And they send over some guys who weren't necessarily helping their defense in Levine. I loved watching Levine, and Dunn was a guy I think could really, really be a good NBA player. So no knock on those guys, but he was really wanting to build towards this team's defensive identity, went out and got Jimmy Butler. And then you see over the summer this team trying to to build something different, build a playoff team. They go out and they get Jeff Teague was the next real major signing for the Timberwolves, and they swap Ricky Rubio with the Utah Jazz. They get the Utah Jazz's first round draft pick for Ricky Rubio, get Jeff Teague, and now you see this this nucleus coming together that Thibodeau wants to build, this Ferrari of a car that he has in this team now that he has built from the ground up. He has these young guys, and now he's brought in these older players. And Teague is a really unique addition for this Timberwolves team because Teague is a guy who he plays a point guard position, but he plays it differently than the traditional point guard who he's going to run the office, he's going to offense, he's going to take the ball down the court, he's going to be the guy who the primary ball handler who's going to run the offense and run the court more or less. Teague is one of those guys where he can play with all-stars. He was on the the 60-win Atlanta Hawks team, so he can play with guys like Kyle Korver, Damari Carroll, Al Horford. He can play with these superstars, uh, Paul Millsap. He can play with these guys, and he can pair with guys where he doesn't have to be the primary scorer. He doesn't have to be the one with the ball in his hands to make a play. He's really good off-ball. He's a good catch-and-shoot guy. He's a good rim runner in transition, but he's also good on defense. He's just a ball hawk. He, he's going to go out and get some steals. He's going to try and stay around the rim, maybe get a block. He's going to go. He's got a plug-and-play kind of guy where he's going to go and make a play where he needs to make a play. He doesn't have to be the one who's dribbling down the court. And it is all building towards this team. We talk about positionless basketball a lot in the NBA. And while I don't think it's as drastic as maybe the Milwaukee Bucks are going for, the Wolves really are building towards this team that of guys that can just make plays all the time. You think of Wiggins, you want his defense to grow. And with Butler on the team, his defense will grow. You think of Butler... You think of Towns. All these guys can play multiple different positions on offense, and you can start to see with the defensive mindset they'll be able to play different defensive positions as well. And so you have all these guys who can score in all these different ways on the offensive side of the ball, and now you plug in a point guard who can help you a bunch of different ways on offense without having to be the guy with the basketball in his hands. And that's a really valuable thing for the Timberwolves, and that's really going to help them moving forward because – they're not going to take away shots from Wiggins and Towns necessarily. They're not, they're not going to have as many, granted, as last year, but they're not necessarily going to be taking this load of shots away from the young guys. They're going to let them keep developing and keep growing while they're putting in guys around them that are going to help with the success of the team as well. So now you see you have your, your starting five. You have the young guys and Towns and Wiggins. You've got, you've got Butler. You've got Teague. You've got these new guys coming in. 
Now the bench, they did a really good job. I mentioned earlier they brought in Taj Gibson. They brought in Jamal Crawford. They have these solid bench guys. And they have Tyus Jones. They kept him around a guy who Thibodeau really likes as a developing player. You can kind of you can kind of tell he's going to be one of those guys where if they need a bunch of guards on the floor, if they want to play small ball, he's going to be the guy that they're going to try and get more minutes to. And now we got to see as preseason starts, right? we got to see how he's going to develop as a player. But he's one of those guys that will be interesting to see the growth moving forward. But the bench is figured out. we got the starting five figured out. The Timberwolves look like a really good team moving forward because, again, they have the offensive side of all these guys that can play next to each other and don't necessarily have to have the ball. They can make their own shots. They can handle the ball. They can catch and shoot. There's a bunch of guys who can do a bunch of different things on offense. And now we're going to see the defense grow. The offense was good last year. Now we're going to see the defense grow into something that maybe makes this team a playoff caliber team. Las Vegas had the the win total for the Timberwolves at 48 games, I believe it was, in mid-July, early June, or late June. And now you see a team that maybe, maybe I don't, I don't want to get overexcited about this Timberwolves team, but maybe they can get on the, the edge of that 50-win mark. They can be one of those middle-seeded teams in the playoffs, one of those four, five, six seeded teams in the playoffs. So that's what they're building towards. And Thibodeau has done a really good job of getting these guys who can play alongside each other. Each other. None of them are really big egos, big personalities in the locker room. Butler's a team guy. Wiggins is super laid back. Towns is a team guy. Teague is a team guy. All these guys, you don't have to manage an ego. You don't have to manage to see oh, this guy needs the ball a ton, or otherwise he's not going to play really well. This guy needs to get a bunch of pick and rolls, otherwise he's not going to be happy in the locker room. None of these guys are like that. They're going to be able to perform really well where the coach wants them to perform, and they're going to do a really good job complementing each other without any drama off the court or drama in the locker room. This is a really well-thought-out, really well-built Timberwolves team that we see rolling into post-seat, rolling into the season, and hopefully, hopefully they're gearing up so that we can get that Timberwolves postseason run that Minnesota has been dying for for so very long. Thanks, Colton. What's incredibly interesting to me about the Timberwolves is for all the talk about the Thunder and these other teams about in Houston and trying to figure out where all the possessions are coming from. This is the team that has the highest possession usage when you look at their roster. They Generally, teams have about 100 scoring opportunities a game, maybe about 90. They had 130 if you looked at their guys. Carl Anthony Towns had 22 scoring opportunities last year per game. Wiggins, 24. Butler, 22. Teague, 16. Taj Gibson, a bunch. Jamal Crawford, a bunch per 40 minutes. Shabazz Muhammad, a bunch per 40 minutes. These guys just incredible, incredible amount of possessions used, and I don't know how they're all going to distribute it this year. That's where fantasy gets interesting, but they're the team that I think has the biggest issue early. The talent's so good. The offense will be terrific. I project them as the fourth best offense behind the Warriors and Rockets, who are very close. Clippers and Wolves are in the next tier way back down, but ahead of everybody else. Here's what Josh Lloyd has to say in regards to what to do with them with fantasy. Hi guys, Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns has the potential to be the number one fantasy pick this season. His, um, his playoff schedule for head-to-head leagues is a little bit underwhelming and the addition of Jimmy Butler makes the, a, a level of uncertainty, but Towns was a top five player in the second half of last season without Zach Levine there putting up some extraordinary uh, efficiency numbers. 
The addition of Taj Gibson may enable him to get a little bit closer to the basket to increase his block numbers back to close to his rookie season as well. Jim Butler, I think he's going to be a comfortable second-round player, while Jeff Teague, I think he's maybe being a little bit overdrafted given the fact that he is going to be the fourth option on offense on this team. And they'll have Butler handling the ball quite a bit. But as a, a player you can get in the mid-rounds as a point guard, he is solid. While as Andrew Wiggins is a guy that I think is getting significantly overdrafted, he's going to need to increase his peripheral stats, his rebounds, his assists, his steals, and get his efficiency numbers up to even hope to live up to the um, ranking of top 45 where he is on ESPN and top 50 on Yahoo. I just think that's going to be a tough ask, especially with Butler coming across. Another guy who I think is going to struggle a bit this season, given where he is being drafted, is Gorgie Jeng especially given the rotation that Tom Thibodeau showed in that first preseason game with uh, Gibson starting. Even though Jeng performed well off the bench, I think for him to get the 34 minutes that he got last season is going to be a tough ask. I will draft him with a late pick to see how that goes. I wouldn't draft Taj Gibson. I think that he's going to need 30-plus minutes to return, even anywhere close to top 100 fantasy value, and I don't see that being the case. In the longest edition ever in the history of Lockdown NBA, we have two teams left to finish out the Western Conference. Let's go to San Antonio and Jeff Garcia. Hey, this is Jeff Garcia of Lockdown Spurs here to give you a quick San Antonio Spurs season preview. Perhaps one of the biggest storylines heading into the new season for San Antonio is the point guard spot. San Antonio Spurs all-star Tony Parker is still on the men after suffering a leg injury, which requires surgery. The good news is that he's on the way back to the court faster than expected, but this still projects him to not suit up earliest November, latest January. Who takes over the reins? All eyes will be on DeJounte Murray, the Spurs' sophomore point guard, as he'll likely get the reins and hold down the fort until Tony Parker comes in. The question is, can this 21-year-old sophomore in the NBA guide a very veteran presence San Antonio Spurs squad while Tony Parker is out? And perhaps the second storyline for the San Antonio Spurs is whether or not LaMarcus Aldridge rebound from his pedestrian second year in San Antonio. Numbers aside, he didn't have that bad of a season. However, things came crashing down once Kawhi Leonard went down with injury during last season's West Finals when the Spurs needed their big man to step up with Kawhi Leonard out. He did not and came up short. He did mention that he did feel a bit of frustration and didn't feel that he was fitting in well with the Spurs system last season. However, he did say that he spoke with the Spurs management, with team coaching staff. They're going in with a clean slate and he's looking to rebound and be that extra punch the Spurs need to give on the offensive end and defensive end for Kawhi Leonard. Now, the best case scenario for the Spurs to happen uh, in their season to reach title number six in franchise history is the new additions of Rudy Gay, LaMarcus Aldridge having a rebound season, Kawhi Leonard staying at his MVP level play, and uh, the point guard spot have to merge well and mesh well heading into the new season. That is the best case scenario for the Spurs to have a very successful season. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge needs to step up. Rudy Gay needs to prove that he is still that all-star player he was prior to his Achilles heels injury. Kawhi Leonard simply needs to be Kawhi Leonard. And Pau Gasol continue to his hot play from Eurobasket 2017. With the Spurs in the mix in the Western Conference, uh, well, 
gauntlet with every team in the West seemingly getting stronger over the offseason. The Spurs still need to show they are the Spurs and still are title contenders, despite the fact they whiffed on nabbing a couple of uh, big star name free agents this past offseason. And conversely, the worst case scenario for San Antonio is simply nobody steps up to help Kawhi Leonard. LaMarcus Aldridge continues his uh, less than stellar production coming off his second season in San Antonio. DeJounte Murray doesn't rise to the occasion, leaving the point guard spot in a bad spot. Uh, the Spurs having to lean on a rookie like Derek White or moving Patty Mills away from his strength and that being the off guard spot. Those are likely the worst case scenarios for San Antonio to have themselves a bad season. Yes, uh, everything revolves around Kawhi Leonard offensively and defensively, but he needs help on both ends of the court. If he doesn't have that good help or that reliable help and consistent help, the Spurs could be in for one long season playing in the very uber competitive Western Conference. Now, the player to be uh, looked upon as differently at the end of the season, I would say it would have to be Joffrey Laverne. He was the Spurs big, uh, one of the Spurs acquisitions in the offseason to pretty much cover up for the loss of Dwayne Dedman in the offseason and David Lee not re-signing. Uh, the Spurs still needed some size and they got that in Laverne. Now, when he was signed by San Antonio, he was met with mixed feelings among Spurs fans. Some Spurs fans thought he was trash. They still think he's trash. While other Spurs fans will think or still think that he's exactly what the Spurs need. He's exactly what the Spurs need. I'm telling you here right now. He brings in a toughness, um, a guy who will do anything. Uh, he will lay down the line on the court, not afraid to mix it up amongst the trees in the uh, NBA. And uh, kind of like a David Lee, but in a bigger, stronger, younger form. I think Joffrey Laverne will be looked upon in a good way at the end of the season as being a reliable role player the Spurs can look to whenever the going gets tough. Now, the one player who needs to step up this season would have to be Kyle Anderson. The uh, fourth-year pro uh, pretty much hasn't been given enough consistent minutes or uh, been called upon reliably, that is, to perform for San Antonio. Uh, over the offseason, he did work on his game. He added some size to his frame. Um, he competed and played and trained with the likes of Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But this is pretty much, I believe, a make or break season for him. He needs to show San Antonio coaching staff that he is that player that can mesh well in the Spurs system if given the minutes. So far, he has not really done that, but he has a lot of promise ahead of him heading into the fourth season with San Antonio. But this is a season where it could impact him either good or bad. Good in the sense that he'll stay on with San Antonio. Bad is that he maybe, just maybe, the Spurs could use him as trade bait or dangle him in some sort of package if they want to move Kyle Anderson. And with the uh, Spurs drafting Derek White, uh, the rookie will likely be spending a good chunk of time in the G League with the Austin Spurs. And I believe that the one rookie on the Spurs roster that could make a big impact for them is Brendan Paul. The Spurs lost Jonathan Simmons to the Orlando Magic in free agency just when he was emerging onto the scene in uh, the playoffs for San Antonio thus leaving a void as far as athleticism and a player who can create for himself like Simmons did for San Antonio. Brendan Paul fits that bill. He uh, 
pretty much wowed everybody during the 2017 Summer League, and the Spurs pounced on him and signed him up. He's a good uh, athletic slasher, something the Spurs need, and they lost in Simmons, and I believe he will have a definite impact on the uh, Spurs, but not too much. I think he will definitely be relied upon to create shots and look at him uh, to go up and down the court uh, running with a very fast-paced team such as the Golden State Warriors or even a Houston Rockets, Denver Nuggets, and so on and so forth. He will have an impact, but knowing Popovich, he'll likely rein him in at times uh, whenever he feels that maybe the rookie is uh, biting off more than he can chew. But nonetheless, Brendan Paul, I expect to have a uh, nice impact with the San Antonio Spurs. And considering the uh, Spurs are still in the mix in the Western Conference uh, playoff spots and title hopes, the Spurs still are a team in question. Uh, I think there's a lot of questions surrounding this Spurs team heading into the new season. Can they rely upon somebody else to step up offensively to help Kawhi Leonard? LaMarcus Aldridge, question mark. DeJounte Murray, question mark. Another question mark is, will Rudy Gay bounce back from his Achilles heel injury? Uh, he did not play in the uh, Spurs opening uh, preseason game against Sacramento, and it seems the Spurs may be taking a cautious approach. However, he is ready to go. At least that's what he says, but we need to test him physically once the uh, season gets going. Of course, the, one of the bigger question marks, as I mentioned before, is the uh, state of the Spurs point guard spot. Can DeJounte Murray hold it down? Will Tony Parker come back and be the same Tony Parker he was prior to the injury? Who else could step up at that spot, which is in flux right now? And I would uh, argue that is the most, uh, it is the weakest position for San Antonio heading into the new season. This, this team is surrounded by a bunch of question marks. Um, I think the Spurs likely won't finish maybe third or fourth in the West. They're, they're not stopping Golden State. Oklahoma took leaps and bounds in the West. There is Houston, who is younger and more athletic than San Antonio, and then there's San Antonio. So I project them finishing either third or fourth in the Western Conference. Uh, thanks for uh, listening. I am Jeff Garcia once again at Locked On Spurs. Make sure to check out Locked On Spurs on iTunes, Google Play, and any other provider that uh, gives you the best in, uh, podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thank you very much. So those injuries... And the way Pop uses guys, a complicated fantasy team. Let's see what Josh has to say. Hi, guys. It's Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here to talk about the San Antonio Spurs. We know Kawhi Leonard is a first-round player. He's probably the, the guy who should come off the board eighth in most drafts. But this quad injury has left a, a little bit of doubt in fantasy owners' mind. So if you wanted to take someone above Kawhi at pick eight, I can understand that. I would not let him slip outside the top 11 despite the uncertainty with this injury. And if you find him somehow in the second round, you have to jump all over him. LaMarcus Aldridge was a little bit disappointing last season. I think he can bounce back to a degree and be a nice, solid mid-round uh, big man. There aren't many of those available, especially ones who shoot so well from the free-throw line. So Aldridge is strong there. Pau Gasol and Rudy Gay are more late-round picks. We're getting drafted probably a little bit too high for my liking, especially Gay coming off an Achilles injury and without a clear role to find or, or a clear large role to find for him. Danny Green, Paddy Mills, also guys I look at as last-round picks. Mills can be a really good three-point streamer. Danny Green, one of those rare guards 
who gets blocks in such a large quantity, but I'm not just, I'm just not sure the minutes are going to be there to sustain them with our closer top 120 value for the course of the season. We are going to have DeJounte Murray most likely starting to begin the season, but once Parker comes back, his value is going to evaporate and I don't imagine it's going to be high enough to justify drafting him in most situations. Thanks, Josh. Spurs pack rating has them as the fifth best offensive team. By the way, it fin- the West looks like this. Warriors, Rockets, both up at pack ratings, much higher than anyone else. Clippers, then a good drop to Minnesota, San Antonio, Denver, New Orleans, the Oklahoma City Thunder, Sacramento, Portland, Utah, Dallas, Phoenix, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the Lakers are how I project the offense is finishing. Our final stop is the Phoenix Suns. Let's find out what Evan has to say. Hello, everyone. This is your new host of Locked On Suns, Suns b right for Brightside, the son of Insidery. For Phoenix, it mainly revolves around their inclusion of youth, making their likely in-season rotation as one of the top three or five youngest all-time. Featuring six guys 21 and under and spirited by the inclusion of first-round pick Josh Jackson, number four overall, it's all about development and progress for the Suns this season. Outside of Jackson, the Suns also drafted Miami's Davon Reed, who's expected to be a main second unit 3 and D cog upon his return from meniscus surgery around the All-Star break, and Alec Peters from Valparaiso, a 40% three-point shooting big man who is on a two-way contract. Phoenix also signed Mike James, a guard who has bounced around the EuroLeague but was featured on their summer league roster in 2015. He will be the team's third-string point guard this season. When it comes to free agency, the Suns had the opportunity to sign Paul Millsap, but ultimately went all-in with their youth move and re-signed big man Allen Williams to a three-year contract, even though the first year is the only one that's guaranteed. Williams proved to be a valuable rebounder and has an eight chemistry tire use in the second unit. However, like Reed and Brandon Knight too, Williams is likely lost for most of the season after suffering a knee injury in team workouts. To compensate for the loss of Reed and Knight in the backcourt, however, the Suns trade from Memphis guard Troy Daniels a week before training camp began. In the process, they also gained another second-round pick, leading to five in next year's upcoming draft, which is the most in the NBA. For the top two storylines that I'm watching for this season, it'll be about the main development of their core four, Devin Booker, Josh Jackson, Marquise Chris, and Dragon Bender. The second I'd probably be watching for with Phoenix is their point guard, Eric Bledsoe, who will likely be one of the top names on the block in February. And the question is, will the Suns finally pull the trigger? They plan to have Booker and Bledsoe share point guard duties this season, so they could be comfortable by February, but again, we will have to see on that notion. What needs to happen for the best-case scenario this season for the Suns? Devin Booker and Josh Jackson need to prove their legitimate future NBA studs. Booker needs to average around 25 points per game, his defense needs to take a couple steps forward, and his playmaking needs to be approved upon, as both General Manager Ryan McDonough and Head Coach Earl Watson have both mentioned multiple times this offseason. Actually, through the first three preseason games, Booker leads the Suns in assists, averaging five per game. As far as Josh Jackson... Will he be Phoenix's version of Draymond Green? That's sure what Ryan McDonough hopes so because he's told me on multiple occasions that, that they have studied Oklahoma City and Golden State's young cores and how they rose, rose to the top. So far, Watson believes he could have a Kawhi Leonard-type impact on defense immediately. Jackson also showed that his three-pointer he improved upon the second half of the season at Kansas is here to stay. He's been very consistent from the corners and has been one of the better outside shooters on this roster through camp and preseason, which has surprised me indeed. If Jackson proves he's a legitimate rookie of the year candidate, and Booker can, t- can take that star jump. Phoenix could be in line for 30-plus victories and, and surprise a lot of people. But as Ryan McDonough told me, their timeline all depends on how these young guys develop overall. Number three, what will lead to the worst-case scenario? Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris show regressions. No real steps forward. Bender has been a little gun-shy when it comes to aggression on offense, and the coaching staff wants him to show more on that end. They want him to become, become a stretch-five type, which makes sense with, with how Chris Porzingis plays out in New York, and how the Suns went out all in after him after Phil Jackson dangled him around the draft. Anyways, 
Earl Watson said to me a couple days ago that he wants Bender to take around 10, shot, 10 three-pointers a game. And he was working on three-pointers a lot during practice throughout camp, and he has a lot since Watson made those comments. Bender and Christina take steps forward. That's plain and simple. Two picks in the top eight, even though one is only 19, the other is 20, need to show some more flashes consistently. Chris finished on the all-rookie second team, but at Summer League, his careless foul still showed up in an environment where he should have dominated. Same for Dragon Bender. And as a team, if they finish below 25 wins, I believe that's a worst-case scenario, too. Even though they plan to tank one more season before lottery reform begins in 2019, they believe they are better with the inclusion of Josh Jackson. How much will Jackson lift this team? We will have to find out. But really, under 25 wins, and that's a bad sign for the overall development of this core. Number four, player most likely to be followed differently at the end of the season. TJ Warren. He recently just signed a four-year $50 million extension. He could be a legitimate six-man contender or could be a great small ball four if they start Chris at the five. McDonough said media day to me that Warren was the best in workouts that he saw in the summer. After P.J. Tucker was traded from the Suns that were on the deadline last season, he actually wound to average 17.5 points and 7.5 rebounds a game. Warren could be in line to average around the same number this season in either role because he's one of the more efficient wings in the NBA finishing. Add him alongside Booker and Jackson, and Phoenix believes they are well off the wing spot. And McDonough actually says that people are sleeping on Warren because a lot of people around Phoenix have been talking mostly just about Booker and Jackson, but he believes Warren should be in that discussion with how he has played. Number five, players who career. Number five, players whose career trajectory is most improved this season, either good or bad. I believe it's two guys. It's either Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, because, like I said earlier, the worst worst case scenario is that Bender doesn't show much progress at all, and that he, his shot remains a little funky and it stay, stays a little cold throughout the season. That's not a good look for the Suns. You can't waste a top four pick on someone like Dragon Bender without seeing significant improvement by his second season. Even though he's only going to be 19, he'll be 20. He'll be 20 around the All-Star break. You can't just waste a top four pick and have to have him wait three or four years for the guy to develop. I know the Suns want to wait out until 2020-2021 to go into to go into their main part of their core when the, all their guys will be around the same age, around 24-25. But really, I believe Dragon Better needs to show he's a more consistent player and prove that he's a rotation-type player. And with Marquise Chris, he needs to tone down the fouls. As I mentioned, at Summer League, he showed a lot of recklessness and and really, he really proved that he still has a long ways to go as far as basketball awareness on the court. So we'll have to see on that notion and see if he can improve and be actual a five type that McDonough wants him to be. They want Chris and Bender to be on the court at the same time with Chris mostly at the five and Bender at the four and really interchangeable in matchups. So really, even though they're not talked about much around Phoenix, I believe Bender and Chris are really two key guys to the total impact of the season. If they prove that they, they surprise people and they take some steps forward, the Suns could actually be in a really good position to surprise a lot of people this season. Number six, rookies who will have an impact on how much. Josh Jackson. I believe Josh Jackson could be starting immediately because he's proven that he's one of the better defenders already on this team, and he's proven that he's a, a lot better a lot better on offense than a lot of people expected. He's easily able to glide to the rim. He's shown that through preseason, and he's very quick, very quick in transition on offense and defense. He showed against Jonas Jurepko, uh that alley-oop block that he had. That was very impressive to see in person. I believe Josh Jackson is going to average around 15 points per game and around six rebounds. I think he will be in rookie of the, year, of the year discussion. I think Phoenix is very lucky to get Josh Jackson number four overall. And as McDonough told me after the draft, they did have Josh Jackson number one overall on their board. 
As far as Davon Reed, I believe once he's back from his injury around the All-Star break, he's going to be seeing a lot of time at the 1, 2, and 3 position. Because during draft work, that's actually what we were able to see. Davon Reed was actually running point a lot. So I think they like his playmaking ability. It's a little underrated, but he's 6'6". He has a 7-foot wingspan, and he proved at Summer League he's a very good shooter from the outside. So they love to have the Phoenix wants to have their guys playing in the corners and just wait and have Booker or Bledsoe kick it out to him. So someone like Davon Reed's going to have a big impact, and he's also a very good defender that he showed in Miami and in Summer League. So if you include Jackson and Reed on the court together, it's a very good, young, dynamic defensive duo right there. For Mike James, don't expect much, for, much from him because he's just going to be the third-string point guard. He probably won't see much time. He's on a two-way contract as well, but he's likely to stay on the main roster this season just based on how he's played so far in preseason. He's averaging around 11 points and three assists a game. As far as Alec Peters, expect Alec Peters to be with the NAZ Suns most of the season. It's going to be really hard to find some consistent rotation time. And also that um, with Jared Dudley coming back from his injury in the next couple of weeks, expect Alec Peters to also head down to the G League when the season starts. But really, Peters was a very good pick at 54 overall. He slid because of an injury before the draft, but he's one of the better overall shooters at the four position. So expect Peters to have... An impact at the G League this season, but he could be in line to be a call up down the line in the second half of the season, depending on where the Suns are in the standings. My best guess on how the season ends, David, I'd probably say around 27 and, 27 and 55, 15th in the West. I think the Suns are going to be in, in line for another disappointing season. It's all about, like we said, progress and development. But if Booker and Jackson can take some step for, steps forward, they could surprise people. But 27 and 55 is my prediction. I think the Suns are well in line to get a top three pick. I think they'd love to get their hands on Luka Doncic, Michael Porter Jr., and Barton Beckley III. Either one of those three guys could top off this core as one of the better young cores in the NBA. And I think that's what the front office hopes for, too. So overall, I'll say 27-55, 15th in the West. The good old 15th in the West. Hard to quibble with. Let's hear what Josh Lloyd says. If there's anybody here you should touch in fantasy. Hi guys, it's Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball here, here to talk about the Phoenix Suns fantasy value. Eric Bledsoe's got a top 20 upside in terms of what he can do from a fantasy point of view. We know that he was shut down for the last two months of last season. I don't think there's really much chance of that happening this season. I don't think the Suns or the league, I don't think the Suns will do it. I don't think the league will allow it after seeing what happened last season and the resting rules that have come into play. So I think he is a strong option who can slide into the 30s or 40s in drafts. Devin Booker probably getting a little bit overdrafted, but I've been really encouraged by his increased assist rate in the preseason and getting points is the hardest category to get so if you want to take him inside the top 50 I don't think there's too much uh, too much complaint there I really like Marquise Chris this season as a breakout fantasy performer I'm not really sold on him as an on-court player but the fact that him getting minutes is going to mean he's going to get stats steals Blocks. His rebounding does need some work, but he can hit threes. He can be a triple one player. The problem with him is he just needs to stay on the court. He needs to stop doing stupid things and getting fouls. But I like him as a pick. While uh, you know, taking a guy like Josh Jackson or Alex Lynn with a last pick is a really decent upside play. And TJ Warren's scoring and efficiency is strong, and you can get him really late in drafts as well. Thank you, Josh. Thank you to all the guys. We're about to hit our first ever two-hour Locked On NBA podcast. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk for four minutes just to make it happen. Thank you to SeatGeek, promo code LOCKED, $20 off your first purchase. Thank you to WarbyParker.com slash LOCKED, home try-on. Throwing my Warby Parkers on right now. I'm doing this podcast with glasses on. Uh, thank you very much to everybody. Hope you heard all four of our previews. Kevin Pelton joins us next week. Yes, Kevin 
Pelton joins us next week. Plus, we'll go back to having our biggest stories with the local experts covering the NBA uh, on Locked on NBA. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm David Locke. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast of your local favorite NBA team on Locked on Podcast Network.